Support for this podcast comes from MetaView. MetaView is an interview intelligence platform that helps growing, forward-thinking organisations run amazing interviews. Interviews are the most important part of the hiring process. Unfortunately, they are also the least reliable. MetaView fixes this. MetaView uses cutting-edge technology to provide talent acquisition leaders with insight about what's happening in the interview process and provides interviewers with automatic transcripts and personalised tips on how to improve their interview technique. All this means you can conduct better interviews with fairer, more reliable outcomes. Want to learn more about how MetaView can help you conduct amazing interviews? Visit metaview.ai now. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 341 of the Recruiting Future podcast. An area that's been of genuine interest to me recently has been company culture and how some of the core ways we used to think about it are being disrupted. Remote working has meant companies are having to think much harder about how they work and showcasing their culture during the recruiting process has become a real challenge. Another significant area of debate has been the use of culture fit as an assessment criteria and whether culture fit even actually exists. My guest this week is Brett Putter, CEO of Culture Genie and author of several books on company culture. Brett spends a significant amount of his time researching corporate cultures with a strong recent focus on companies that were already working remotely before the pandemic. He has some very valuable insights to share on what company culture now means in our much disrupted times. Hi Brett and welcome to the podcast. Matt, hi. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Yes, so my name's Brett Putter. I am the founder and CEO of a company called Culture Gene. Um, We help companies define, embed and manage their culture. And we've got some software that we do that with. I've um, written two books on the subject of company culture, a book called My first book is Culture Dex Decoded, and the second one is called Own Your Culture, which I published late last year. Fantastic stuff. Now, lots of things that I want to ask you and I want to talk about, but probably the best place to start is to actually ask you for your your definition on culture. What does culture actually mean to you as far as employers are concerned? Culture is um, in everything. It's everywhere. It's it's the DNA of the organization. So just like our bodies, it all, everything you know, our DNA are the, are the fundamental building blocks of our bodies. The, D, the culture is the DNA, the fundamental building blocks of the organization. And culture ultimately develops over time. But my preferred definition of culture is the way we do things around here, um, which is very broad and deliberately so because it really is. It, 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 it impacts every single element of how a company operates and the way a company operates. 
it's been very challenging times for, for for organizations over the last 12 months or so and organizations have had to come to grips with not being able to be face to face and and working remotely and there's been you know lots of debate and conversation about what is the impact of that on culture but also how do you define a culture when when people can't meet face to face and and work in the way that they that they used to now i know you've done some research into companies that, that have always operated remotely and what they've done in terms of culture. What are the main challenges when it comes to running businesses remotely? So I think that the, the main challenges are around culture, um, are around not having the osmosis that happens in, an, in, in a work environment. So you're the, the fact you don't have visibility or you can't see somebody's availability, you can't read the room, you can't read body language, you um, those informal communication moments, the water cooler moments, um, the natural osmosis that happens by listening into a conversation or being in the same room as somebody while you're having lunch and just listening in, allowed, uh, the office allowed a certain f- type of culture to form. Um, and actually it allowed leaders, leaders to be lazy about their culture. And if you look at remote companies, that's, that's the exact opposite. They were from the get go, they were very deliberate about their culture because they had to be. If they, if you don't work on your culture, it forms by default. You have a culture, whether you like it or not. And the challenge with being fully remote is you don't meet people. So you don't, you meet them on the screen, but you don't meet them face to face. So you don't form that bond and connection. Um, and the trust element doesn't come as quickly. So you've got to work much harder on building that. In my research, I found that there were nine best practices that remote companies over-index on in comparison to typical uh, office-based environments. I mean, there's probably not time to talk about all nine, but talk us through the the, the highlights of those. Yeah, so so the, 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 two, the two that I see sort of immediate, the immediate pain points around our process and documentation. Um, so remote work companies have between three and five times the process definition requirements in comparison to an office-based environment and because processes typically live inside people in, a, in an office-based environment and that you can't have that in a remote environment. So remote companies are very, very deliberate about defining their culture, sorry, defining their processes and making sure their processes are alive and operating. They don't just go, you don't just define the process and forget about it. And then as a, as a function of that, the process has to be documented. So their documentation skills are exceptionally good. And actually a company like GitLab, which is 1,300 employees are in 65 countries, fully remote. One of their recruitment requirements is hiring people who can write well um, and are not, um, don't find documentation a burden. Because documentation for remote companies is, is a critical business asset. It's a, it's a, it's a competitive advantage for these companies. Um, if you look at some of the other areas, um, the other big challenge for companies transitioning in this sort of remote hybrid transition is moving from synchronous to asynchronous communication. So synchronous communication requires presence and availability. And presence and availability are expensive commodities because if I'm talking to you now, I can't be working. 
If I'm in a meeting, I can't be working. And if somebody has to contact me because I haven't defined the process and they have to find out the process from me, that's a waste of time. And that's happening a lot now. It's happening all the time. I, when I interview CEOs, I ask them, how many, how many meetings do you have a week? And, and it, it's, if the low side is 25 and the high side is 50, when are they doing work if they're in 50 meetings? So moving to asynchronous communication where you, commu- you, you, you will communicate in a way that doesn't require an immediate response um, means that people can choose how and when they respond and they can prioritize what and when they respond. And the, the remote companies are built around this capability where unless there is an emergency, we work in an asynchronous manner. We don't expect an immediate response from people. So those are a couple of the of the, the of the difficult ones for companies that are transitioning to remote or hybrid work. I think the asynchronous working thing is is so interesting because, as you say, it's it's been the thing that I've seen most companies struggle with. So I know people who are required to attend a, a nine o'clock meeting every 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 morning to to kind of to check in and um, do all those things, and people who are literally kind of back to back all day in meetings on Teams because that's the only way that the company know how to communicate. It's obviously quite a big shift to go from this sort of synchronous to asynchronous uh, communication within within a company culture what would your advice be to, to to companies in terms of how they might be able to start to make that shift i would advise them to start small but be very very disciplined ar- around starting small so for example meetings are really the core fulcrum of where everything happens so, so and you're not going to stop having meetings but you can make meeting, meetings more effective by using asynchronous communication. So, so the best remote companies have a pre-meeting, pre-work capability, a meeting capability, and a post-meeting capability. So the pre-meeting capability is um, create the agenda, invite the right people, find their availability, book it in their diaries, and then create a working document on the subject. And the working document forces people to think through their, their thoughts. So they actually have to write down um, the, the purpose, the um, drivers of the, of the meeting, the desired outcomes of the meeting, the blockers, of the, me- in, in, the blockers that you're experiencing, the research you've done, and you would then share that working document with everybody else at the meeting. And if somebody doesn't respond to that working document or doesn't comment on the working document or doesn't interact with the working document, then they're eliminated from the meeting. If, and there are, these, there are these disciplines that remote work companies implement that means that a lot of the meeting happens before the meeting if they need one. And ultimately, often the meeting doesn't need to happen at all because they've done the work, the pre-work in the document. They realize, oh, okay, we're fine here. We don't need the meeting. Or if they do have a meeting, it's a much shorter meeting. It's a 15-minute meeting instead of a one-hour waffle. And then the outcome of the meeting is shared with you know, the actions, the, uh, the, the, the next steps and who's responsible for what. But that's shared both to the team, the immediate team, the impacted individuals, but also to the whole company because it's all documented and, and anybody can read the document of that meeting. So, th- so by doing that, you, you, you shorten or eliminate meetings or you improve the way meetings are held, which immediately starts to move you to, a, to more time, less meetings and more asynchronous communication. And there are different ways you can do this, taking small little steps along the way to becoming more and more asynchronous. 
One of the biggest things that gets talked around when it comes to talking about culture is this whole nature of culture fit. And it's something that's sort of been increasingly challenged in the last few years. What's your view on culture fit? There's no such thing. There's no such thing as culture fit because when I ask a leader, any leader, to accurately describe describe their culture, they can't. They waffle it maybe, they may waffle about their mission and their values, but that's not your culture. Your culture is this random combination of good and bad behaviors, norms, principles, habits, beliefs, communication styles, operating styles, different departments, subcultures, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's impossible to define. So if you can't define it, how can you recruit for it? It's really what's happened is people have come up with this phrase, which is, an, which is, a, which is a cool sounding phrase for really gut instinct or intuition. And it's your gut instinct, your biases, def- deciding whether this, whether it feels like this person will work well with me or not. Which means that if your culture of ten people, and you, you're, you're basically hiring for somebody who can work in a ten-person organization, but if you grow really quickly and you become, you know, sixty or eighty or a hundred very quickly in twelve, eighteen months then you're in a situation where that culture has changed. The way you do things have changed over these the, the last 12, 18 months. Is that person still a good fit for your culture? The culture that you had uh, interpreted to feel in a certain way. So I, be- I believe it's impossible to hire for culture fit. I believe it's, it's more sensible and possible to recruit for fit with values. If you've done a good job with your values, they're a consistent they, they, they won't necessarily change as, as often or change as radically as your culture will. And you can build really smart interview questions against the values. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and that sort of really does take us to my next question, which obviously the culture of a company is, is something that can be a huge selling point in a recruiting process when you're persuading people to join join the organization. And again, this may be something that companies have been particularly lazy about, particularly if they've got a nice office or great kind of uh, physical working environment that they could show off during the interview process. Now that everything has moved to remote, how can organizations talk about and, and leverage culture as part of a recruitment process? There are companies that do this very, very well. And there are most companies that do it badly. And and I'm, what I'm doing is I'm basically comparing um, a company like um, uh, Zen Cargo or a company like Salesloft with your average company, where your average company will put might put something about their culture in their career section. And it's a little bit of slapdash here and there. But actually, if you take your recruitment process and you think about the candidate interaction points, where does the candidate interact? And, you know, there's in no particular order, the candidate pre-interview will look at your website. They will receive a job ad. They will look at your LinkedIn. They will maybe talk to a recruiter. They will receive a job description. And the best companies have the culture communicated in different ways on the website, on LinkedIn. When I work with my clients, we give the recruiter a cheat sheet to talk about the culture and and actually give the recruiter a couple of questions to evaluate the candidates against. Um, We Then if you look at the job ad or the job description, it's very clear what the culture is, what's expected of you and why if you don't fit this culture, you shouldn't join. And if you do, you should consider joining. 
And then when it gets to the interview process, we've built a database of values-based interview questions that you can interview the candidates on, and you can score the candidates out of the, the, the fit with the values. There's a, a data point here. It's not about gut instincts. Then you bring them through onboarding, probation, and their first review. And if you think about that as a, as a life cycle of a candidate, you start to weave your culture into those different touch points. You can do that in a remote environment. You can do it in a, in a, in a hybrid environment or an office-based environment. And you shouldn't, especially now, you can't rely on that osmosis people to get a feeling of your office. But you've got to be able to communicate a consistent message about your culture at every touch point. Obviously, it's been a very disruptive 12 months. Lots of things about work have changed. We've talked about you know, the whole aspect of remote working and remote hiring. As hopefully we begin to sort of move out of the pandemic and employers are thinking about what they do next, what, what do you think the, the long-lasting changes are, are likely to be? I think this is an area that a lot of leaders are behaving a little bit like ostriches. They've got their head in the sand. They're hoping that when we go, when the new normal happens, they'll be able to lead their businesses the way they did pre-COVID and that this is just a, a 12 or 18-month um, blip in, in, in the way they lead. But ultimately, that's not the case. And, and it's really what, what leaders need to realize is that whether it's hybrid or remote, your leadership style and your leadership modus operandi have to change. You, you're going to have remote people in your organization. There are very few organizations that won't have people who will be working remotely out of their choice, not out of your, the leader's choice. And if you don't build a remote first hybrid environment, in other words, a, an environment that recognizes how important your remote people are, and if you don't build that environment, then your people will ultimately end up feeling like second-class citizens because they're not included in decision-making, they're not communicated with in the same way, they don't experience the culture or the work in the same way, they need to advocate more for their work, and they need to ag- advocate more for themselves, they don't feel as, in, as, as considered for promotional opportunities. This will res- result in your people feeling like second-class citizens. And right now, it doesn't matter. You, there's no, we're all remote, so there's no second-class citizen status. But in six months or whatever the period of time is, that will start to happen, and people will leave your environment to go to a first-class citizen status environment where the culture has been designed appropriately. Finally, where can people find you and your work? Uh, so my website is www.culturegene.ai. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Um, both my books are on Amazon, Own Your Culture and Culture Dex Decoded. And um, if people, if your audience would like to have a chat to me about their culture, I spend 25% of my time um, doing this, like learning about other people's com- cultures and companies and how they do things. I'm always happy to, to have a chat so they can reach out to me directly at brett at culturegene.ai. Brett. Thank you very much for talking to me. Matt, my pleasure. My thanks to Brett Putter. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future.
You can search all the past episodes of the show at recruitingfuture.com. And on that site, you can also sign up for the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.